0: Welcome to the DellingPod with me, James Dellingpool. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest. But before we introduce him, a quick word from our amazing sponsor. Brilliant Podcast deserves a brilliant sponsor. And we've got one in the form of monetary metals, our old friends, monetary metals. I've had the CEO, Keith Weiner, on the podcast a couple of times to explain how he manages to uh, enable you to own gold while yet having interest paid on it but well, he does it by essentially lending the gold out to the jewelry industry and that and that's how he gets gets how you get your interest paid so you have your gold gold holding and then you get paid in interest also in in gold it's a, a great a great idea and um i recommend it um i've got i've got some money invested in myself uh you can earn, Two to five percent annually on your gold, supporting your while well, supporting businesses in the gold industry. Or, if you're an accredited, an accredited investor, you could be eligible to earn even higher yield, double digits in, in their gold bond offerings. It's a hundred percent physical, hundred percent yours. Your metal, you're in control. If you don't like an opportunity, you can opt out at any time. So get on your own personal gold standard today with Monetary Metals. Visit monetary-metals.com forward slash Dellingpole to learn more and get started opening an account. I would imagine that most of my viewers and listeners don't know you from Adam. So just briefly, tell us about yourself.
1: Okay. Uh, I am a Canadian independent researcher and author. Um, I've written a couple of books that weren't rega- related to religion at all. They were actually based on my former obsession, which was uh, video games and video game uh, analysis. Um, I had a website, fan, video game fan website for many years. It's still up, but um, it would always seep into conspiracy theories and into pop culture analysis and what's going on in the larger society. And and when the lockdowns happened, I decided to just abandon that and go right for the throat, uh, talk about the thing that actually mattered to me the most, and that was the big picture, prophecy, where we are in the world, how we got here, and where it's all going. And so, so there was two books. The, the first one was Maybe Everyone is Wrong, um, Revelations, Conspiracy, and the Kingdom of Heaven. This one uh, was where I really figured out where I stood on everything re-examining all these major uh, traditions that I had grown up with. And I attended prophecy conferences and all these types of things, trying to understand the big picture. Uh, But the more I examined it, the more disappointed I was in it all. So I did this. Then I created a TikTok account to explain all the information in the book um, for free, just try to give it away as much as I could. And to my shock and surprise, it It went very viral. Um, I got 220,000 followers on TikTok in about a year's time. Uh, Millions and millions of likes and views on those videos. It turned out TikTok was starving for Christian content, which you'd never have guessed. And uh, from there, it just sort of steamrolled into getting an endless torrent of people bringing up controversies and questions and sort of leading me down these rabbit holes and trying to forced me to believe what they believed, and it was this real tug-of-war, very interesting sort of furnace of pop culture discussion, um, because I had so many followers, and I was getting thousands of followers a week who were just tuning in, and because of lockdowns, everyone sort of was startled awake and realized something very evil was going on in society. Uh, So I would say that was really where I was sort of forged into a Uh, into having to have positions on this and having to know what I'm talking about because I refuse to be somebody who never checked sources and didn't do proper research on these things.
0: I I mean, (laughs) I'm going to be sport for choice here. I have to say, I read a long interview you gave and without overselling you, I'd say that you offered the best, most convincing, all-encompassing, explanation for what is going on right now than I've ever seen. I think it, uh, it, it's amazing
1: and, that that, must and be scary. The, that must be the lies are unbecoming uh substack post, right? Yeah. 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 That was, I decided to lay it all out there. I, I figured somebody out there would appreciate it. I didn't know. I didn't know if I should you know, go light on it or not, but I decided to just dive right in and lay out the big picture because I, I try to do that as much as possible. Get people up to speed with where we really are, because the time is short. We we need to beat this thing. We need to. We're in a race, and we need to be winning, not just catching up all the time.
0: Yeah. Before we go on to the um, the, the heavier stuff, what's your favorite video game?
1: Oh, my favorite video game uh, has to be Metal Gear Solid One, uh, released in nineteen ninety eight for the PlayStation One. Um, that's what sort of made me fall in love with video games on a very much deeper level, uh, where narrative and 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 a whole immersive world is sort of being built around you. And you, as the the game actually starts commenting on your actions as a player. Uh, if you go around killing a lot of enemies and a lot of guards, it's sort of a stealth game. You're not supposed to be killing the enemies. Um, the game actually criticizes you eventually and calls you out for being you know a uh, bloodlust fueled maniac basically and and that blew my mind as a as a video gamer so i sort of fell in love with Hideo Kojima's bizarre japanese view of the military industrial complex it, it talked about genetic engineering it actually talked about um designer viruses mrna vaccines um custom like all sorts of strange things that are actually coming into the forefront now and uh, so it was sort of a, I was just a teenager, but um, this sort of surreal glimpse into what this Japanese uh, auteur thought about the American military system. And, and so um, that's my favorite game.
0: Yeah. Do, do you reckon, I mean, given that we know that the, the music industry, the TV and movie industries, and the gaming industry are all part of the the mind control. Um, do you think that there are figures within, well, within the gaming industry, that are not working for the enemy? I mean, do, do you think do you think messages are allowed to get through, which are which are which contradict the one they want to send out?
1: Yeah, I think Jap- Japan is the is the exception, especially because. Um, although they idolize Hollywood in many ways, and, and a lot of them are just trying to create something very simplistic that will appeal overseas, um, I think Hideo Kojima, at least in his earlier games there, he was really uh, trying to be subversive and he would leak things in his games that were way ahead of their time and very shocking. Uh, in, in one of his games, he talks about Operation Paperclip, the the you know the effort to bring over all these Nazi scientists to America and incorporate them into the national security apparatus as if it was nothing and and that was like in 2004 or something that was after the war on terror it's a very strange thing to be putting in his games but it's all dressed up as just sort of a a military fantasy Tom Clancy esque game and Tom Clancy's very jingoistic propaganda um, and so and the mili- U S military has a lot of oversight over all the the uh, pop culture depictions of the army and what you can say, what's classified, what you can't say, and that kind of stuff. And so I think maybe, you know, some European developers and a lot of people slip in things. I don't think video games are nearly as controlled as Hollywood because they're so huge and nuanced if they want to be... There'd be things you could slip in there that no one would even notice until they've played the game for 300 hours. Um, So... I think video games are more liberating and probably the Jap- Japanese games are the most, have the most potential to sort of break through that.
0: Yeah, my, my son tells me that, that of all the countries he's visited, Japan is the one that most blew him away. Because it is so culturally distinct from anywhere, you know, it's absolutely they know that they're Japanese and they mm. don't want to be anybody else. Mm. And there are restaurants you can go into where they won't serve you if you don't speak Japanese and things like that. <laughs> and 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 rather than sort of saying this is outrageous, this is a form of
1: racism or whatever, he was thinking,
0: yeah, that's cool. They 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 are proud of their culture and they and they they want to defend it.
1: Yeah, not the whole world doesn't have to be a melting pot. You know, it's it's okay to have you know strong identities and be proud of your culture and um you know if a country's big enough like America you can still have small towns and places all over the place that still feel like that but uh it would certainly be attacked as being racist and, and all sorts of things like that by by the progressive side of things that are trying to incorporate us all into the the big hive mind so uh, yeah japan yeah it's, and then when japanese people go to paris there's a thing called the paris syndrome <laughs> where um, they become so disillusioned because they thought it would be a paradise, a beautiful renaissance, you know, masterpiece, and then uh, it's actually a known psychological phenomenon of Japanese people going to Paris and and falling out of love and becoming very jaded. They actually become physically ill, and it's, it's a very strange situation there. So they have a warped perception of us as well. They sort of have an idealized version of europe and america i think but um so they're very isolated in some ways but they're they're very innovative yeah it's a it's an interesting weird complex they've got a lot of problems of their own unfortunately with their population rates and such but
0: Uh, what what do you mean with that
1: well the japanese population rate is so low that they're gonna die off pretty soon nobody's having children um their average age i think is getting close to 50 or 60 the um, they're, they're not replacing their own population, so, and, and they're not, like you said, they're not uh, supporting immigration either. They're not flooding their country with a bunch of outsiders, so they're proudly sticking to their culture while also dwindling and not replacing themselves. So economists are sort of just watching it in disbelief as um, it do, we don't know what's going to happen there if, if everyone just keeps getting older and they don't have immigrants.
0: Yeah, well, that kind of fits in with what you were saying about. Should we should we cut to the chase about the green horse? Yes, we have the so green much to horse, get into. The green horse of the apocalypse, which you've cause you've made it your business to study the book of Revelation. And you've written you've written how many books on it?
1: Uh, two, really. Two, uh, okay.
0: Yeah, and we know from people like Bill Cooper uh, that the, the traditional translation of that is a pale horse, mm. but. But it's not, is it? it it's actually what, what? What is the the uh, the Greek word for right? So
1: the 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 text there's one word used that's chloros. That's the Greek word, and that's where we get the terms chlorophyll and all these scientific terms that are related to green things. Um, it, the chloros is very definitely the term green. And if you go to something like the New English Translation of the Bible, you will see green in the text. They've translated it that way but for some reason, a lot of the older translations, um, and even a lot of the modern ones, they'd, they'd still go with pale or something else. But once I realized that it was actually chloros and that other parts of the New Testament that all use the same kind of Greek, um, it's the same word is not translated pale. It's translated as green in those other places, even in the book of Revelation. And so it's a very curious choice to not translate it as green consistently across the board, But uh, but once you realize that and you see that these colors of the four riders of revelation have symbolic meaning um to me that unlocked the whole picture of where we are today yeah
0: you see this is next level so as you, as you probably know i wrote a book about about the the sort of the green insanity a book called mm. watermelons um which is green on the outside red on the inside so i was sort of I was sort of linking, you know, the, underneath the, the, the green surface is essentially totalitarianism, which, which I think is, is, is also true. But you've taken it to the, to the next level, the spiritual level. And you've recognized, I think correctly, that, that the green horse of revelation is the, the anti-human, the Malthusian death cult of, of the modern green movement and, and government policy.
1: Yeah, Um, so the description in Revelation of the four horses are very short. Um, They have almost, they don't, the Bible says almost nothing about these four horsemen, but what it does say um, is so packed with meaning, if you can look at history and see how this has been unfolding, uh, the fourth rider, is it's the last of the four, Um, it's the green one, And it, unlike the other ones, is ridden by death itself. And so it is strongly identified with a death cult, a death movement, and that's where you have the description that um, it has the God-given authority to kill 25% of the world, a quarter of the world, uh, using, well, the actual terminology it uses is the sword, um, famine, famine, and then the other word is just death, but it's generally assumed to mean diseases or unseen causes, because it just looks like somebody dies. You don't have a something being inflicted on them. And then wild beasts, and I, I don't pretend to know exactly what that means, but in a war situation, it always happens that when a bunch of people die and the food supply collapses, there's a famine, and once there's a famine... People's immune systems are destroyed, and they have many diseases, and once there's a bunch of population that's diseased and weak and can't protect itself, that's when wild animals come in and prey on the weak. So historically, that is the chain of events that happens, but prophetically, that's actually what it says a quarter of the world will experience when this rider rises to full power.
0: I I was thinking it could be rewilding. This 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 tendency of of, of bringing, restoring the want. wolf population to Europe
1: uh, and 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 so on, giving animals more rights than humans, they've they floated that idea. Um, you know, giving rivers and trees more rights than humans, it's, it becomes a crime to violate nature's rights, um, and the rights of mankind go away. That's a very real prospect we're looking at with the the insane green cult that wants us all dead and and uh, considers that to be progress yeah i think a lot of
0: what what a lot of even critics of the green movement don't quite understand because they can't they're incapable of making that mental leap um is the for want of a better word satanic nature of the green enterprise Mm. they think that it's kind of well to start off with they think it's a grassroots movement to which Governments are responding which is why we have organizations like extinction rebellion uh these sort of these and and, and characters like like greta thunberg th- who are shown to us as as a sort of a manifestation of a of a popular movement when of course they're they're funded by the the sinister george soros behind. yeah george soros exactly um but People think that okay, so governments are a responding to a few loonies, and and um, b that that there is nothing there is nothing malign about this. That that, that they are responding to what they believe is a yeah. is a more or less credible threat, and perhaps they've exaggerated it a bit. But ultimately, their their intentions are good. Whereas by your reading, and I think mine too, this is this is quite deliberate.
1: Yeah, this has very identifiable roots. Um it's it's it is a, basically a secret, but it's if you know how to dig up the official paperwork and and statements over the decades, it's uh it's not that much of a secret. I mean, Mikhail Gorbachev was the leading figure of the environmentalist movement and basically said he would accomplish, I'm sure this is something you probably mentioned in your book, but um he basically told said that he would accomplish what what, uh, Soviet Union failed to do with NGOs and with, uh, this sort of fake climate crisis. Um, but even if you go back further than that, you have, uh, HG Wells, you have this sort of, uh, road society, uh, think tanks in Britain that were thinking up how to drag America into this global system, um, how to convince the world to give up national sovereignty and uh, sort of indulge the world government idea. In fact, H.G. Wells wrote a book literally called The New World Order, um, as well as another one called The Open Conspiracy, Blueprints for a World Revolution. And people just think he's a science fiction author, but he was actually one of the most influential uh, think tank, you know, well-funded, uh, Huxley family-funded uh, intellectuals, and George Orwell's 1984 was actually a response to H.G. Wells. Um, there's articles you can look up of George Orwell talking about H.G. Wells being the uh, this dystopian figure who thinks he's creating a utopia, but he's actually creating this hell that he ends up depicting in 1984 where everything is sterile, and lifeless, and emotionless, and joyless, and people have been dumbed down to the point where they can't express themselves anymore, and, and all these types of things that Orwell saw in H.G. Wells' misguided utopianism. And H.G. Wells ended up inspiring... Well, you talked about theosophy. That's a key component of even... Uh, of of the Green Movement, because it's so tied in with Eastern mysticism, and it's tied in with... Uh, what I call the Aquarian Conspiracy. And yeah. if you want to get into that, I mean, that's where you have oh. this movement that penetrates all forms of government and business to try to establish this uh, this green world order, as I call it. It's, it's about letting go of your own identity, letting go of all divisions, borders, um, not in a totalitarian police state, but in a post-collapse rejuvenation, a celebration of, of what it means to be human, to have agrarian, simple lives. To, it's really neo-feudalism. It's this break down the modern society, collapse everything, uh, kill off most people. Um, they're useless. They're eaters. They're consumers. They, we, they don't need anything. They're just a carbon footprint we need to get rid of to protect Mother Earth. and. The end result is this, you know, this chance to start over again. That that's how they can justify it in their own minds. That they're saving the world from us. We are the bad people that they are trying to save the world from, and that's really what's behind the Aquarian conspiracy. And I believe that's the fulfillment of the Green Rider.
0: Yes, I I, I mean I'm glad you brought up the Aquarian conspiracy. Although I I was thinking of saving it for the kind of the main course. We're just in the um we're sure. just warming up at the moment um, <laughs> yes. just b- before because actually you're the first person I've had on the podcast who can talk about revelation, which has got this, this, I mean, oh. I remember when I was at school um, and, and, you know, not, not a particularly um, interested Christian other than, you know, mm. we had to go to chapel every day and twice on Sundays and stuff. Um, but. I remember the book of revelation being this this thing that you you almost like you you turn to it like like a kind of porn mag you know and you'd read <laughs> the bit about the beast 666 and stuff and does the, revelation tell me about briefly about its origins i mean how, how do we know it's it's real and, and and that it matters and that it's it's authentic
1: well um i mean i think if you If you look at the scholarship around the Book of Revelation, it is accepted by the Church very early on. Um, There's a debate whether it was written before or after the Second Temple was destroyed. I think modern, uh, modern scholars like to say that it was written afterwards, and that all the symbolism is basically a retroactive... Discussion of the Second Temple Siege of Jerusalem and stuff like that because they don't want to acknowledge that its prophecies actually started to come true. Um yeah. I don't I don't accept that. But the Is that called preterism? Uh that is um I suppose preterism would be different insofar as it says that all of the prophecies of Revelation were fulfilled basically within the first century and revolving around the temple. Um, just the dating of it and the scholarship around it doesn't necessarily imply preterism, but it, um, it it's definitely tied in there. The idea that 666 is just a reference to Nero, and, um, you know, there's all these—all the symbols can be related to something in the first century, and, and of course, I completely reject that idea, and I— I'm
0: with you, I'm with you, bro. I I can't, I think it's a complete cop-out to say, oh yeah, Revelation, it, it sounds really scary, but actually it's already happened. And, and I debated
1: and- on TikTok, I did a lot of live streams and I debated people who were very educated praetorists and they had built their whole understanding around that. And I would ask them basic questions and they would just completely flounder. They had no answer. They were just stuck on a couple of symbols that they... They assume people don't know, and so they can just sort of uh, go on their spiel, and people get wound up in it and say, well, that sounds, sounds about right to me, you know. But I don't accept that, because I went verse by verse and actually studied how it's telling a linear story that you can't chop up and reverse engineer. It's actually the only book in the entire Bible that has its own numbering system. You didn't need to put chapters in it, because it is already structured with this symbol of the seven-sealed book. There's seven seals that have to break in sequential order, and then that unlocks the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets have to go in the particular order, and then there's the seven vials or the seven bowls that have to be fulfilled. And my interpretation is the first one that I could find in the entire internet and in the entire history of Christian interpretation that takes that structure seriously and says you cannot take the fifth trumpet and shove it into the third seal and play all these games with mixing it around it's to me that's blasphemous that's insane god dictates this book as prophecy to John in this particular order and gives it the symbols of these particular sequences and then i look up any major interpretation and they just go wild with it they say that it restarts halfway through and then it's actually just repeating itself and and that's why my book uh, maybe everyone is wrong is called maybe everyone is wrong it's it's a, it's to say maybe now in the 21st century thanks to the internet and the amount of Historical information we have, we can actually go back and revisit these traditions and do better. We still have time; God has given us time to to still analyze this and figure it out. And I don't trust that people have done it in the past. So it was a very strange exercise to go against all the traditions, but it paid off, um, I believe. And uh, this, the structure of it, is really amazing to me uh, when you don't mix it around. Who who was the John that it was who had was this vision? presumably the the Apostle John the, the, the John system. the beloved you know the uh, the one that wrote First John Second John and the Gospel of John I mean um, these are all things that modern scholars will try to pick apart and they'll dispute the authorship of every single book in the Bible uh, and say that not even a single book was ever written by the person that it claimed to be written by but you know. What, why are we trusting them? Uh, they don't know.
0: So we've got, just remind me what the other other three horses are that precede the green horse.
1: Right. So the first one is the white horse. Um, its basic description, very short, is basically that it uh, had a, uh, a bow and it was given a crown and it was going forth to conquer and it, its job was to conquer. Um, The second one is the Red Horse. It's said to uh, have a giant sword, and it has the power to take peace from among the nations, to take peace from the earth. Um, To me, that's interesting because it doesn't actually say that it commits violence itself. It says that it is taking the peace from among the nations so that they fight each other. The third one is the Black Rider, uh, which everyone basically argues is uh represents famine because it discusses the price of food it has a pair of balances you know the measuring uh old measurement system they used to do for weighing gold and and stuff like that it has a pair of balances and then it says that you know it's talking about the prices of barley and and wine and stuff like that um it actually doesn't say anything about famine um I have a theory on that that is much more nuanced about the symbolism there, about basically the, the current system we live in, the banking world order, the price fixing and all that kind of stuff. But it's white, red, black, and then green. Right.
0: And in terms of the seals, uh, we all know about the seventh seal because of um, that movie, the Ingmar Bergman. Mm.
1: Um and uh, what, How many seals have we opened so far? Well, in my interpretation, we would be in the fourth seal right now. So the first three take a long time; they take centuries to unfold um, each. And the fourth one is actually kind of interesting because it has two riders or two things happening at the same time. It says that there's this green rider that comes out and hell, or the more accurate translation would be Hades, the grave, um, follows with it, and so it's almost like there's this rider, and then immediately behind it is the grave. Um, which, what does that represent? Uh, I, I believe it means basically a reign of death, a reign of a world that is based on death and death worship. Uh, because to give to step back and give people sort of a a bigger picture of what this seven-sealed book even represents in the first place, um, I believe that it's telling the story through prophecy here of the ascent of Satan's world conspiracy against the kingdom of God. So it's, um, it's God predetermining the limits of Satan's conspiracy, and then step by step allowing it to increase in power over time until eventually it takes over the whole world, and it seems like Christianity has failed, and that's when Jesus makes his return. Um, that's sort of the the topic of the seven sealed book, if you will, and the reason why it had to be written that way and shown through that prophecy is so that Christians could know that as things get worse and worse in the world, it's not a sign that God has been defeated or that Satan is actually um, winning. It's that this is what God has predetermined, and so it just must happen. It's
0: pretty rough, isn't it,
1: for us um, Christians?
0: Uh, I mm. mean, we know we're going to get horribly persecuted and, and stuff, and I, we accept that's part of the deal. But do, yeah. do you ever ask? I mean, why did God? Why did God do this? I mean, what you know? I mean, given that He created us in His image and He, he loves us, why, why did He create this scenario where the devil gets to?
1: run the world for this period? And... Uh, well, the, as far as I can tell, the, the big-picture reason is to show off that um, despite having an entire world conspiracy against us, uh, with uh, not only human conspiracy, but the Bible describes Satan being cast down to Earth, not to hell, but to Earth, um, and a third of all the angels... Are sent down with him, and they form this spiritual conspiracy on earth that even with all of that, basically the entire world against us uh, they still can't defeat the kingdom they can't defeat the gospel, even if they kill us, we multiply we uh, you know the example that Jesus Christ set, Jesus is the ultimate winner in history in in god's perspective he's not the ultimate loser he's by dying he becomes you know the thing that breaks the back of the whole satanic empire and so it's sort of like giving people an opportunity to buy into this offer of the kingdom Um, and we just i mean if you really pay attention to the narrative of the new testament it's entirely about how this world is already foregone it's already doomed um, you know, Nietzsche and all these intellectuals hate us for that. they you know they want us to be invested in this world as the the ultimate paradise. we 're going to build paradise on this earth. Um, but from god's point of view that's not the case at all. So we're really here to piss off the devil uh, for a couple thousand years before we get to enjoy paradise and and he gets to prove his point that he can't be stopped, no matter what is against us.
0: Right so from that perspective the book of job makes a lot more sense. god likes showing
1: mm. how
0: faithful and enduring.
1: Yes, it's exactly right. Yes. It's it's the you know satan believing that somebody will lose their faith if he lets them suffer and it turns out that you know a godly person will humble themselves and won't won't abandon it and then god rewards them. It's actually that's a perfect observation there.
0: So um, the thank you. Uh, so, there are going to be people. Um, I've noticed whatever you want to call the awake community or the mm. red pilled people. I've noticed tremendous divisions between the Christian faction, um, of which I'm one, and the people who think that Christianity is either a distraction or even a threat. They sort yeah. of they, they, they characterize it, for example, as a kind of roll over and do nothing kind of a trap that's been set for us, you know, because we're so we're so passive that we we think there's nothing that we that, that can be done. So therefore, we're not going to make such good fighters. Uh, and, and there are also these siren voices which say, well, you've got to realize is that, that there are various things they come up with that Christianity was invented by the Jews to control us. Like it's kind of Jewish mm-hmm. psyop um that it come you know it's a religion and the latin from from religion religion is you know religio i bind and that it, it, it's again it's a form of constriction it's designed to stop us achieving our full potential and then you've got the people who've taken dmt and stuff like that and say you know i've communed with the gray people and right. and you know the, the world is you know, or, or they're seen aliens and and so they've got a completely different or, or the world is a, a mushroom you know we're all kind of you know the secret lives of the mushrooms this stuff and then people have got people who've tried yoga and they say what's not to like about yoga and and i found myself in my and you know and christianity is patriarchal you, i mean you've heard all this stuff but there is so much division what would you say to the non-christians that might persuade them that i mean you know make a case for 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 our side of the argument
1: well, I actually think one of the best pieces of evidence is that the global elite who are—we can usually, even among all those divisions, can usually agree that there is an e- evil elite, um, that they are hell-bent on eliminating biblical Christianity. Generic Christianity, they don't care. That's that. That's fine with them. They don't need—the the name Jesus doesn't offend them as much as um, a biblical— understanding of things. It's once you start pulling out Scripture that they really panic. Um, they can't even be in the same room as somebody who's who's actually talking from the Word of God. Um, that, to me, has always struck me as a very powerful piece of evidence that, in fact, we're not uh, marginal, weak people that uh, aren't accomplishing anything. It, it's actually, uh, we're enemy number one. Uh, there's been a campaign through the Catholic Church. I'm very vocally... uh, In fact, I'm writing an entire book about the history of Rome and the Catholic Church being an imposter church, not a, um, you know, that... And I have the... You can look at the receipts. You can look at the massacres they've done and the heresies that they've killed tens of thousands of innocent people and all that. They have the, the false Christianity that they have no problem with, but it's once you have a revival movement... Um, It's one of the reasons they've targeted the black community in America so much. They had a very strong Christian church uh, thing after the slaves were freed. They basically flocked to Christianity. They had some of the best churches. And then uh, even though these people were uneducated, they had no resources, they had nothing, they were no threat at all, they didn't even vote in most cases— They had to target them and destroy them. They had to run them out of town and get them hooked on drugs and alcohol, anything they could to try to subvert that culture because that's actually what they're terrified of. They have no problem with QAnon and with, uh, you know, the radical... All the people who think they're so subversive and radical, it's just a big joke. You're, You're not accomplishing anything. You're not challenging the root system that they're all springing from. Um, so it, it's sort of just, it's sort of like this illusion of rebellion um, that they've helped to curate, and I find that Christianity is actually the most radical and the most subversive to this day. It's as controversial as it was when Jesus was alive.
0: Uh, can I say, th- th- this? a lot of uh, awake Catholics who are going to be recoiling mm-hmm. in horror. What I mean, because there are some very good Catholics out there, aren't there? There's some good... Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, my my position on that is, that's something I came up with a lot in my TikToks, too, because I don't hold back at all talking about the Catholic hierarchy, the Catholic system, the Vatican, uh, but I've never seen a single Catholic, I've talked to hundreds, um, that actually defends the Vatican they defend mm. their own faith and the va- the faith of their family, the community they grew up in, maybe their local priest or something like that. Um I think they all recognize that there's something very wrong with the the Vatican and they can acknowledge there's a lot of atrocities in history and all these types of things the crusades and the the uh, you know colonizations of the the doctrine of discovery, all of these types of things. So we actually share a lot of common ground and one of the things I say is that uh, the kingdom of God, that is really what we're supposed to be attaining, uh, it's not a church. It's nobody's church. It transcends all churches, and in order to get there, you have to leave something. Whatever that is, you have to leave your previous faith. Maybe it's a church, maybe it's a a uh, atheism, maybe it's something else— But nobody gets into the kingdom without having left something. So the goal, I think, is for Catholics, Protestants, and, you know, I was raised Mennonite, but I still had to uh, re-enter the faith, you know, the hard way through a very um, personal conversion, and that's when I started to realize that it wasn't just, like, you know, empty prayers and uh and going along with routines and attending church and stuff like that too so we all have to meet in that same place and we all have to leave something to get there tell me about the mennonites
0: what oh, I mean, the were mennonites you brought, were you brought up with with hats and stuff on one of those
1: farms the mennonites in manitoba are mostly they're sort of um they're flirting with that right so they're there's they are much more Modestly dressed. Um, a lot of the my relatives growing up. I had a huge family, lot just dozens of cousins and stuff like that. Uh, some of them would actually wear the sort of Amish style dress. Sort of you know, Amish and Mennonite are very closely related. Um, Mennonites predate Amish a little bit, um, and they come from the man Menno Simons, um, an Anabaptist reformer, right right around the same time as Martin Luther, but much more radical. Um, And um, whereas Luther and Calvin and some of these other guys were trying to appeal to the nobility and the monarchies to try to convert them to this other form of basically Catholicism without Rome involved, um, these Mennonites were going all the way and saying that uh, institutional churches were... Um, you know, so easily corruptible, and they were—we need to just be studying our Bible personally, and uh, the Mennonites were—they basically burned all their bridges and weren't protected by anyone throughout the the Renaissance Reformation period, and were hunted like animals um, everywhere they went. They were refugees traveling from nation to nation and temporarily having shelter, and then Inevitably, they would be killed in some of the most uh, despicable, unspeakable ways um, anyone has been killed in history. And uh, eventually came over to Canada and settled the prairies here with a special deal with the Canadian government that we didn't have to participate in war. We could practice our religion without interference. and, And that was my... My ancestors. I'm very proud to have come from that lineage, um, and they were always radical. They were always stepping on people's toes because they refused to compromise with state power. They weren't afraid of um, death, so they they would just say what they what needed to be said and criticize, you know, anyone. In fact, they a large portion of the Mennonites in like my basically my great grandfather moved to Mexico in protest. Out of, along with a lot of other people from around here, um, because they wanted us to start going to public schools. And they said, that's not acceptable. We're not going to be brainwashed by the government. And so <laughs> they moved to Mexico, and my dad moved back from Mexico to Canada. So uh, technically, I'm the son of an immigrant, even though, uh, you know, my great-grandfather was Canadian. So um, that's the story. It's a very, they take it very seriously. They're willing to move to different countries just out of that kind of devotion to we're going to teach the Bible, we're not going to trust the world. That's fantastic. Um,
0: I've, got, I've got a lot of, lot of respect for these these communities which realized way ahead of the game that the world was a conspiracy against us. Mm. And, you know, I mean, the gypsies as well, that they live outside the system um, over here. But... Um Mennonites do so are you capable of erecting a a wooden a wooden barn
1: uh, I wish um uh, basically by my generation all of the old skills had been lost um all of my cousins grew up on farms but uh decided to not continue it so all the family farms got sold it's a real tragedy that um we were the breadbasket of Canada we turned the swamps that were here into fertile farmland and built dikes because we came from the Dutch and uh, knew how to create drainage systems and turn Canada into this amazing farmland. And then a couple generations go by, and right as it's coming up, to, I, I was so jealous of my cousins that grew up on farms and had so many skills. It wasn't, it was a somewhat modernized farms. Uh, you know, it wasn't the same as the Amish. The Amish are the extreme that refuse to change. We were sort of like, we can change, we can adapt to the times, but we're just going to make sure our principles don't change and our, um, our world view, our distrust of the system doesn't change. Whereas they were like, no, we're literally just going to still dress the same way and, and uh, refuse any new technologies and continue those skills, which I envy. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't inherit any of that.
0: Am I right in thinking that chemical spill on that, that train in America was deliberately aimed at taking out Amish territory
1: i would love to know that um i i I was looking at the map in the cloud the 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 fallout of it and uh, i i kind of felt the same way pennsylvania a lot of that stuff going on over there um i wouldn't be the right person to ask as a as Mm -hmm. a canadian who doesn't actually have any contacts over there but um that's what it seemed to me is that maybe they're trying to just you know poison that whole section of the population yeah yeah
0: um so was your your Mennonite upbringing does that was that mean does that mean it was steeped in the
1: bible it theoretically should have been um so that's kind of the thing is um i went to church i was taken to church my own dad was so cynical that he didn't even trust our church so even though we had a Mennonite church, and the Mennonite church would say, don't trust the world, uh, my dad would say, don't even trust the preachers. And so it was that level of uh, cynicism, and uh, he was basically illiterate. Uh, turns out the Mexican Mennonite system uh, fell apart and failed to educate their people. Uh, so I, my first language growing up was Low German. Um which is distinct from high german um it's basically the Mennonite language, and it wasn't basically until I went to public school that I learned english and um and but that was the case with a lot of kids in school in my town because there's a lot of mennonites around uh so um, the uh i am I'm, I'm losing track of what the question was but
0: uh I was about about your your biblical upbringing right and, uh, what so what
1: Actually what happened there was um my older brother was uh so independent and refused he took my dad's advice he didn't trust anyone and um he decided that every time somebody made a biblical claim he would personally go and look it up and debunk it if it wasn't true and so he made a, basically a personal bet with himself that he would he would verify every single thing somebody said of, about religion and, and about Christianity, and so I ended up getting second-hand of um, full education on the Bible through him, because he was sort of spitefully proving it, and then in turn, he ended up having a massive appreciation of it, and so it, w- it didn't come from the proper sources, but it was sort of, I guess, a byproduct of this nature of, look it up yourself, find the source, don't trust anyone, um, and and just you know, if you can't prove it yourself, don't believe it.
0: So you, you're saying he subjected the Bible to the kind of conspiracy theorists'
1: scrutiny, checking
0: yeah. everything, and 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 he found what he he found that it it stood up.
1: Absolutely. He in fact every time he expected to find that it was uh, foolish, that it was um, he would hear something that didn't sound right, and he would look it up to make that person realize that. Uh, What they were saying didn't add up. He would find a whole discourse that was beautiful and poetic and meaningful and all these things. And he, I I wouldn't, I don't want to speak for him too much, but it seemed to me, as his younger brother, that um, he had sort of tricked himself into getting a this this education on the Bible firsthand, Um, and from a very skeptical point of view realizing that it actually has a consistent narrative that the Old Testament, New Testament work together beautifully, and there's all this overlap and, and richness there that this was before the internet. So, um, you know, you kind of had to do it yourself if you wanted. You, you didn't have all these wonderful commentaries that we do now, especially in a little town like ours. So um, yeah, it was a very hard-won education, and it, and it sort of rubbed off on me as I was following along with it. Um,
0: I've got to ask you, because you, you bring up his name in that interview. I, I recently had a, a sticky encounter with with David Icke. Mm, um, I saw it. And I'd gone into it thinking, good old Ikey. He was, he was there 30 years before me, you know, when I was still kind of buying into the narrative. He was exposing truths and, and risking his life and, and, and stuff. And... I really thought we were going to get on. Mm -hmm. And then something happened on the stage. It was a kind of, it was almost like a sort of revelation sort of, but I realized that he was not what I thought he was. I'd sort of, I was familiar with his, with his stuff about it, you know, talking about the rulers of the darkness of this world, as we might call them, you know, and about all the different conspiracies against us. And he's bang on about that stuff. But I hadn't realized that, the other perhaps more important part of his life is pushing what are essentially new age notions about the world being a simulation that only by achieving a higher vibration can we transcend Mm. this this prison and stuff which is I, i discovered on further research is essentially warmed over theosophy which which was invented in the late 19th century by a charlatan called madame blavatsky who was probably funded by the elites i mean probably rothschild money that kind of thing T- tell me about it. what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i was laughing throughout that uh discussion you were having because uh the amount of self contradiction david ike was doing there was so i've been trying to warn people about david ike for years that's one of the things i did on my tiktok and uh, it's very it's controversial. You are stepping on people's toes within the alternative media. Oh, what
0: um, can I just say? This I mean, look, I, I really did not want to lose like so many of my people who, who previously thought I was a good thing suddenly mm. hated me. Probably thought I am controlled opposition because I, I'd I'd attack one of their their gurus and and, and they thought it was just kind of about me me me, just having a go at an innocent lovely guy who just wants to wants us all to be in peace and love
1: but look look at the things he was like we don't have to go rehash the discussion no, itself but no. just the the some of the things were like science is proving everything i'm saying and and the biggest institutions in the world are confirming and all religions across the whole history of the world confirm what i believe but we can't know anything and all no if you claim to know stuff you're uh you don't know anything and y- so i don't want to convince you of anything but Everything confirms what I'm saying, and you know it's like it was just these paradoxical statements that are almost designed to create cognitive dissonance in the listener It it's, speaks so stridently, and that's really tying in with theosophy that's like you said, Blavatsky was a con man, a, a con woman um, was able to harvest a lot of ideas from Indian culture. she traveled. You know uh, across Asia came back with all of these exotic ideas um I believe she genuinely had mystical, if not demonic experiences and she the books she's wrote were so dense, and she claims to have channeled them uh, from a from an ascended master who spoke to her in the trance state. so I mean take that for what you will if that's true, it's horrifying if it's not true, it proves that she 's a fraud um And really, there's three women you have to track if you want to make sense of where we are post-World War II with this movement, because Theosophy itself, I don't believe was a Rothschild-funded thing. I don't don't particularly believe that she had much sponsorship. She was taking advantage of a trend that was already existing. Um, You know, it's the same trend that produces Aleister Crowley and a lot of people in that time were obsessed with occultism, um, obsessed with exotic Asian Eastern philosophy. She just crystallizes it and forms friends who are very effective at propagandizing. She actually created a, when she went back to London, she created a publishing house called Lucifer, and um, was publishing, was the editor of Lucifer for 10 years, Um, and then her successor, is, so there's three women that you basically have to keep track of. One is Helena Blavatsky. Her successor is Alice Bailey, a very prodigious uh, you know, writer who wrote many different things. She coins the term New Age. So if we talk about New Age-ism and New Age, that's the direct successor of of the theosophical society. So it's, they're the same exact thing there. You don't have to mince words and, and make it sound like they're different. They're literally the disciple of Helena Blavatsky creates the new age. And then from there, um, you basically go another generation later and you have Marilyn, uh, Ferguson who writes the Aquarian conspiracy, the book called the Aquarian conspiracy. And, um, and she then sort of takes H.G. Wells' idea of the open conspiracy—that's where she gets her term from—and turns the open conspiracy into the Aquarian conspiracy and adds the theosophical element that was missing from H.G. Wells. So it's not that complicated of a formula. Um, and I, to the extent that H.G. Wells' vision was falling apart and didn't seem to be happening, uh. I think it was an innovation on the part of Marilyn Ferguson and her her new age friends very powerful people uh to rebrand it to go underground to turn it into the counterculture and then take over the counterculture uh that's where you get the 60s 70s you know drug and um, human potential movement all the psychic stuff all the paranormal obsessions and it takes takes over the counterculture so you have blavatsky bailey and then ferguson and she has friends who are literally in the military um and and gets that that tied in with uh this character that i'm fascinated by called jim channon in the who uh ends up working for task force delta and and has this vision called the first earth battalion where the US army will actually be what spurs on the revolution behind the scenes and creates a a holistic uh psychic warrior sort of race but it will only kick into effect after a giant collapse of America so he was realistic enough to realize you can't do this painlessly it has to be on the heels of some horrible traumatic event that gives us all such a horrific memories of the past that we just want to start over and that's when you basically have the military come in and create the this uh, utopian aquarian age where we all hold hands and, and nobody has any biases anymore and uh, we all open our third eye and can have the higher vibrations david ike is talking about i mean it's you know what
0: you just reminded me of the uh the death camp of tolerance episode of South Park. I don't know whether you've ever seen that.
1: <laughs> I, I think I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen the full episode, but yes, uh, people
0: of all colors and creeds holding hands under a rainbow, uh, and and they have to, it has to be enforced in this in this death camp <laughs> where tolerance is. I mean, South Park foresees everything.
1: I I, I have a uh, a uh, Substack myself, and I'm doing a series on there called The Winter Christian. My substack is winterchristian.substack.com, and the the concept of The Winter Christian is a type of Christian who can endure any level of psychological warfare and uh, any level of um, this hypocrisy and slander that they're going to throw against us, and one of the things I say in there is that uh, tolerance will be the sledgehammer that they use against us. It will be, you know, tolerance is their their keyword, their code word for intolerance, of course, for persecution and for isolating fundamentalists, because we are the only ones who refuse to compromise um, and say that there is actually only one gate to the kingdom. There is one shepherd. Uh, Jesus said, I am the gate. You know, anyone who comes in a different way is a thief. Uh, I'm the sh- good shepherd. Anyone who tries to lead the flock without me is, is a charlatan and is trying to harm my people and stuff. So we're not going to let up on that, and that makes us enemy number one in their tolerance world where we're- Jesus is just another ascended master. That's what Theosophy says. That's what David Icke says. He's just another guru, just like Buddha, just like everyone else. He's just a perfectly generic um, alternative.
0: Yes, like Rakorsky, who I believe was the ascended master who dictated mm. Ike's early books, and 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 so on. Yeah, I, I, yes, you hear this a lot, and you 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 quite often hear New Agers call Jesus Yeshua instead of instead of Jesus. Mm.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen that, and I've seen um, a lot of obsession with divine names. Uh, that's actually a very big part of mysticism, is to. Um, identify angels and demons and and uh, Jesus by you know Hebrew names or divine names there's a, there's kind of an obsession there with trying to uh contact spirits by accessing their names i mean that goes back i don't know how long at least to the 1500s when mysticism was taking over spain but uh the sort of mystic regurgitation, which is really Luciferianism, although it gets called theosophy. Um, it, it, it's about trying to hack your way into spiritual enlightenment, to try to find shortcuts and rituals and meditation practices and all these things that you can form an enlightened divine connection. David, I kept talking about that. This, These beings that are out there, this consciousness that's out there that you can tap into— and one one of the things that really struck me, I just want to make this point um, clearly, is that the the scam that David Icke does in that discussion and elsewhere is he will over and over emphasize that the demonic forces are destructive, terror-inducing, maniacal, um, you know, hell, like the, the stereotypical hell figure of this terrorizing force. But I think what you correctly pointed out in your in your write-up is that uh, it's actually kind of the opposite. Demons are, and it's Satan himself, the Bible says, he presents himself as an angel of light. He presents himself as being the, the one who liberates you, who empowers you, who brings you closer to divinity yourself. And so David Icke doesn't want you to think about demons as being actually the the ones that are trying to get you to raise your he's the devil would be the highest vibration being according to their point of view he is the one that uh, is trying to bring you to godhood without having to repent and you know convert to jesus or anything
0: yes um i was thinking is there not a kind of a division between the Satanists and the Luciferians. There seems to be Mm. this, this, this new age philosophy. I mean, or this, this, this collection of beliefs seems to be about dualism and opposites. Um, So you've got Satan representing darkness, child sacrifice, and, and, and so on, which people can see, you know, people who don't do that sort of thing can see is kind of bad, but then you've got this, this false light the false light of lucifer right. which offers us salvation from that from that or apparent salvation from the darkness
1: yeah to, satanism to me is a curious one because it's it's very ineffective it doesn't seem to do anything um in a way it's a it's a joke uh, even the people who subscribe to it say that they don't believe that the devil is real um they are basically materialists who are really just anti-christian um that's Actually, what Satanism represents if you believe what they say, if you think that they're secretly doing um all sorts of nefarious things in dark corners of society, then I guess you know there there could be a serious criminal element behind the scenes or something but i I generally think that it's actually um a, a couple of things happen it's 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 a gateway to a lot of other cults to witchcraft to Um, back to theosophy, back to these other movements. Um, It's kind of the the edgy, you know, rebellious gateway, and then from there they sort you out into some other group that is, you know, has more momentum. But um, they're sort of there to shock and to be an anti-Christian advocate group. But uh, Satan—whereas Luciferianism doesn't want to be identified, doesn't want to be recognized— uh wants to always have a cover story and um and sort of exactly like you said be a, an angel of light be this um truth movement the awakening uh the yeah. it's all the positive terms of uh, awakening from the slumber david ike is i think maybe even the one that coined the term sheeple but um if not it was jordan maxwell who was basically his mentor yeah
0: yeah um i was struck but doing my research into this that a lot of lot of people who are invested in the new age who are into things like consciousness raising vibrations that love vibrates at a higher mm. level than hate which is a low vibration they're into energy and i, I, I mean i don't dispute that the there the, the, the are different energetic fields for for, for different emotions, but that, that that to me would just describe a phenomenon that that God Himself created. It's just just the, the nature of things. But the idea that these people represent love and they've got they've kind of the, the, you know that the, the, their cause is is self evidently good are uh, jars. With an element in New Age thinking, where they say, "Look, you know, when we enter the the age of Aquarius, there can be no room for these these Christians with their prejudices." I mean, we're we're on the on the list for the chop, aren't we? They they, they, they find euphemisms to describe this, but essentially, their their plans for us are not good.
1: Yeah, I have a quote here, um, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, this is from a book. If you want the best digest of this entire phenomenon, it's called the new world religion by Gary Kah. Um, the main researcher for this was Carl Teichrib, who is a genius. One of the best researchers in the entire world. He has sources for everything. Um, yeah. he's quoting Barbara Marks Hubbard, which you may have encountered. She was, uh, basically a, a, uh, theosophist, uh, she says this, and she says that this, she channeled this, right? So she says that this was a divine message from her. Uh, we, the elders, have been patiently waiting until the very last moment before the quantum transfer- transformation to take action, to cut out this corrupted and corrupting element in the body of humanity, talking about Christianity. It is like watching a cancer grow. Something must be done before the body, the whole body is destroyed. The self-centered members must be destroyed. They consider us to be self-centered because we refuse to integrate into their uh, their oneness principle that we are all God, God is all us, everything is interchangeable, there should be no Messiah, we'll never bend to that because we are all God. So we are the self-centered ones that have to be destroyed. It says there's no alternative. Only the God-centered can evolve, which means God-centered in you. You are God. Fortunately, you, dearly beloved, are not responsible for this act. We are, speaking of this channeled force. We are in charge of God's selection process for the earth. He selects, we destroy. We are the riders of the pale horse. Death. We will use whatever means we must to make this act of destruction as quick and painless as possible to the one half of the world who are capable of evolving. Now everything is global and connected. Each person is about to inherit the power of destruction and co-creation. The inner voice, the higher self, each person's own connection to God, independent of priest, text, church, or mentor, must be heard directly. That's the Aquarian principle, is that there's no institutions, there's no Hierarchy. There's no uh, traditions. There's only an ever-evolving intuition about the truth. Uh, Objective reality melts away. There's no such thing as facts or knowledge anymore. Those of you who know what is happening, the one-fourth who are now listening to the higher self are to be guides for the rest who would be panicked and confused. This is what Barbara Marks Hubbard said in a trance state. And... um, and literally calling themselves the Pale Riders that are going to destroy Christians who can't evolve. It does sound like it that was demonically inspired. I I mean, either she was, again, either she was lying about channeling it, which makes her a deceiver, or uh, she was actually being influenced by some demonic spirit. And then how do you square that with this love and tolerance narrative? Why shouldn't I be able to continue to believe what I believe and read my Bible and and preach my gospel uh, when this new age of Aquarius comes by, why do I have to be eliminated? But it's about the, shall we say, a Darwinistic sort of survival of the fittest, elimination of the weak and the the unfit for the next phase of humanity, which is how they see it.
0: Well, it sounds like Lenin, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Or, or whether it's Lenin or Stalin who said that, but, but I mean, it's, it's basically the same thing. Look, you know, when we create our, uh, the new paradigm, this, this, this paradise on earth, some people got to, got to die because mm-hmm. they they get in the way of our, of our plans. Now I don't, I've never heard a Christian voice such sentiments about, you know, we, we our view, I think is that we can of leave it to God to take care of that. I mean, as you say, The Catholic Church has killed loads and loads of people. You know the Albigensian Crusade, the the Crusades, and so on, the Inquisition. But I don't think actual people, Christians, have ever considered that to be part of our.
1: And certainly in the modern world, um, it's progressively becoming more and more tolerant and more, um, you know, some say to a fault tolerant. But you know, uh, socially it's not very tolerant, and culturally it's, you know, we're supposed to be fighting a war for truth and exposing things but no there's no rhetoric of violent uprisings and um the closest thing would be something like maybe the maga trump movement talking about the storm coming that is going to you know kill all the pedophiles or whatever their conspiracy yeah, have you
0: have you looked into um what's the guy you know, um the, the guy who was involved in the January the sixth business, the guy who was put away in prison briefly, the, the Ray, Ray Epps? No 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 no. You know the the guy who was sold to us as, as, as one of the stand up guys from the Trump regime, the guy who The guy who quoted who quoted theosophical stuff at some some, some conference. Hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm having
1: a. I mean, aside from Alex Jones, I'm not sure who else. Uh, no, no,
0: no, no, no. So, somebody. He was one of Trump's key administrators, who then, who then got got by the other side and. Oh. Uh, people, people are going to be shouting at the screen now, saying, "Look, you know, it's." the uh, Manafort? Oh, uh, I don't know.
1: No, 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 no. Um.
0: I, I think that Trump is not a Christian. I think he's a he's, right. he's a Luciferian.
1: Yeah, I've been warning people about Trump. Um, ever since he created Space Force. Uh, It's one of the most absurd things. At the same time they're calling him Hitler, they're allowing him to create a new military division. Uh, How does that make sense? And this one in the Space Force is designed to control all satellite and uh, communication technologies. It's not actually about space at all. It's about uh, communication and about um, IT and, and fiber optic cables and these types of things. Why would they allow Trump to create this and give him a budget for it if um, he was really the enemy? And then, of course, the lockdowns, the vaccines, everything else, uh, printing trillions of dollars and giving them to the corporations. No, I, I I think Trump is a complex character because I don't believe he wants to or takes direct orders. Um, I believe that he sees himself as being independent but he is managed. He is—they've they, got—they're sophisticated enough to stage manage his his uh, career and his his power and his presidency. And it's probably a tense negotiation there, where um, he he's not fully on board with the program. Um, he, yeah. in some sense, does believe in American exceptionalism and all this stuff. But uh, he's compromised. He needs them desperately, and he has to obey them if he wants to stay in power live. and yeah
0: yeah I, 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 absolutely um yeah i i mean i think we're being set up aren't we for uh, you, you, are you quite pessimistic or maybe you, as you would put it optimistic about the time scale here do you reckon you do you reckon you're going to live to see um to, to, to have your head chopped off by by the luciferians
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it'll happen in my lifetime. (laughs) I I think that uh, the deadlines they've given around 2030 and, um, you know, trying to set all these agendas with a a certain timetable is not a coincidence. Um, I think that they're accelerating as fast as they can. And their plans never quite go according to their script because we exist, because we are Christians and we do speak out. And when we start to expose things, they panic and uh, they have to change course because the public will sympathize with us if they understand what's going on. Um, so there's a it's a it's a delicate balance they have to do. But I think that's why they're getting more and more sloppy. That's why they're becoming more out in the open about the need to reduce the population and and they've sort of uh, they're sort of just coming out and saying it now. And I'm currently writing a series on the psychology of this, the psychology of the end game, as I call it, uh, where they've done military coups in countries, they've they've bombed countries into oblivion, and watched what refugees do, what people do in a panic situation, who they flock around, how they uh, cope with it, what do they, who do they reach out to for help and support, all these types of things. They they have that experience. They have manuals on that. The CIA does. Uh, so they should have a pretty good idea of what happens if they actually start to create a genocide of Christians uh, through secret means, through open means, however it plays out. And um, I think the time scale we're looking at is within 30 years um, for the church as we know it to be destroyed uh, for what the Bible would call the tribulation. Um, this, this period that Jesus talks about where we are captured and we're, Uh, interrogated and many of us are put to death the to bring it into revelations there's the first the first four seals of revelation are these riders that get released one after another the fifth seal is very weird Um, it's a short scene in heaven where christian martyrs are placed under an altar not on top of the altar as a sacrifice but underneath the altar as the fuel the fire source for the altar sacrifice, or the, what's going on in the altar. And um, weirdly, they are complaining to God and saying, why are you not avenging us? We're being killed down there, and you're not, you're not defending us. And God says to them to be patient, he gives them white robes he tells them to uh, to wait until their brothers and sisters are also killed so it actually debunks the rapture um, in the in the fifth seal of revelation
0: i like the way he buys them off with some white robes look i know, I know you're cross but here's some white robes
1: <laughs> i don't know if i'm going to be one of those people under the altar or not but i think everyone who's a pre tribulation rapture believer uh, might end up there uh, complaining and saying, hey, I thought we had a deal. You know, Before the tribulation gets bad enough, you'll come in and whisk us away and save us. Um, and instead he'll tell them, actually, no, this, this is all according to my plan. Isn't it strange that even the prophecy, which is predicting things, scripts the necessity of these people complaining? That's how self-aware it is. Um, it, it's mind-blowing, but it's right there for anyone to see.
0: It is very weird. I, I have to say, I think that the idea that there was going to be a rapture uh, is is a, an evangelical cope. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think for a second that that as a as a believing Christian I'm going to be magically whisked away
1: before it before shit gets real. <laughs> and I used to believe in the rapture strongly. I followed a, uh, a preacher who w- made this case sound pretty good, but. Again, I would bring it up with my brother and he would sort of start questioning me. And uh, and it fell apart under scrutiny. Then I started to look at the alternative. I'm like, well, then where are these? There are passages about a group of Christians being delivered um, and transforming in the blink of an eye, being taken up into the clouds to meet Jesus and all these types of things. And it sounds like a rapture. And that's where I had to develop my theory to the point where, I found out where in the timeline that would actually happen and it doesn't happen to the Christian church as we know it today. It would happen to this other group that emerges into the prophetic spotlight so to speak after the death of the church, which is the 144,000 Israelites. And actually the majority of revelation deals with them, not us. We we think yeah. we're the center of the history, world history, but it's actually culminates in this group of Jews and Israelites. Uh, who are sort of in the the final throes of the world as it's all falling apart, and it's a it's a beautiful story about Jesus coming back for his chosen people at the very end. Right,
0: but, but I mean that, that's another rabbit hole. But, I mean, it is you, the, the, the 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 children of Israel. I mean, you think about how many offspring, how many? Mm. It's impossible to track how many descendants there must be. Yeah, I mean, any of us could be one of those descendants of the. You know, yeah, absolutely,
1: if you trust genetic tests, uh, there, there'll almost be a guarantee that somebody has. You you have some Jewish heritage or some Israelite heritage. Which Israelite, is I think Israelite, I think
0: Israelite is think is that. I I think that yeah. that word Jew has been so kind of co opted.
1: Yeah, there's twelve tribes of Israel, and Judah is one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's
0: it's. I mean, this is so. I really. I think this is gonna be really divisive podcast. But I mean the the, the Ike Easters are gonna get very upset that that one has pointed out mm. certain flaws. Because because I, I think if you were if you were red pilled many years ago by Ike and, and, and you've been you've you've kind of been persecuted and yeah, I because mean, there are similarities between the awake and and Christians. I think there's a lot of there's a, there's a there's a, a sort of ne- nexus that we Everyone who's awake has been marginalised. They've 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 done the thing that the Bible tells us that Christians must suffer. They've been rejected by their friends. They've lost their jobs. They've lost you know, I mean, I've I've suffered it as much as anyone. You know, lost friends, lost. It causes family divisions, um, and so they sort of identify him with with their own suffering. He's a kind of well, he's he's made this comparison himself, hasn't he? He's kind of a Christ-like figure. So yeah, he said he's, he's the he's, son of God. Yeah, he's played on that. So that so they've bought into that, and they're going to be looking at this, and they're going to be saying, "This guy Terry Wolf and his annoying, annoying Amen Corner, James Dellingpole, they're talking about this this Christian rubbish, which which is just like I've read on lots of conspiracy web- websites is just made up stuff, you know. I know, mm-hmm. for example, that the similarities between Jesus Christ and Horus, you know, that that
1: they, they, they a that comparative one. religion." is one of the three main goals of theosophy is to is to compare all religions and find a mystical uh connection between them that that allows you to believe that they're all interchangeable yeah yeah
0: yeah exactly i I mean um my my friend um mark miller did did a a, a brilliant a, a book called a comic book series called the chosen one which is about the antichrist and 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 stuff and 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 mark is mark is a, is a a believing christian he's a, he's a catholic um but he included this this line in this book which is where i first came upon it and 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 when i was doing my research i then discovered that ike puts it in one of his books you know Horus was born on the twenty-fifth of December. So was Jesus. Horus Horace was Horus's mother was a virgin. So was yeah. You know, it goes the long list, and you're thinking, wow, there is nothing exceptional about Christianity. It's just it's just one religion among many. It's just like it's an archetype. Jesus was an archetype. He wasn't even real. Maybe I mean these are your reactions when you read this stuff, and then you discover that there is no evidence for this in Egyptology. This is just made-up stuff that was invented by a series of Freemasonic authors quoting one another, but never sourcing it back to...
1: Yeah. Uh, the the more they have tried to smear and, and dismiss and marginalize Christianity, in the end, the Bible is sort of this, um, it's this thing they can't topple. I know that those who don't believe in it will just say that that's, you know, uh, that's yeah. just denialism and whatever, and that's that's yeah. fine. Uh but uh, their efforts are endless to to try to overturn it, to try to undermine it, to try to stop people from believing. What I tell people is just read it for yourself, you know, if it's if it's all lies, uh check out it, check out the Bible and, and start reading, especially the New Testament. Uh, but you know, I would go even further if if people are offended that I criticize uh David Icke, I would also throw in Joe Rogan. I would throw in Russell Brand. I would throw in Alex Jones, and uh, these these guys are all disinformation agents, whether they know it or not. That's that's actually an interesting discussion in itself. Um, I don't think they are d- deliberately trying to deceive people, but the nature of being deceived is that you are fully confident that you're that you're actually helping. Um, and and what I do in my second book that I wrote, we, we've been touching on maybe everyone else is wrong, but the the second one I wrote is called Fire in the Rabbit Hole. And it is entirely devoted to these rabbit holes people go down, including Flat Earth, including the DMT uh, trips, the UFO phenomenon, um, Tartaria, a lot of these different rabbit oh, holes. Oh, yeah, are,
0: Tartaria. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Tell me about floods. that one.
0: I haven't, I haven't investigated. I, I, I do quite like Flat Earth, I have to say. But Tartaria, what, what is that
1: about? Briefly, oh, it's it's basically a miss. I mean, I could give you the real story or their talking points, but uh, their talking points. Well, just give point- me give
0: me, the, give me both briefly, because I, I I haven't haven't looked into this
1: one. Their talking point is that uh, all of history is a complete fabrication, and that there was actually a super society called Tartaria, which um, uh, existed here on the America American continent and uh, and across the world, but it was all buried by a gigantic flood a mud flood that uh, buried all of their cities, and some of them remained, and that's basically where the World's Fairs um, in the 1800s, all all these different extravagant World's Fairs, we have these pictures of these cities that seem to be there. They're all made out of plaster and and wood and stuff like that. There were these billionaire uh, festivals of extravagance, but these people refused to believe that those were fake cities that they created for these world fairs, and uh, they believe that this was actually a giant conspiracy to hide the existence of this ancient civilization and trap us in this modern hell that uh, really our great-grandparents would have remembered Tartaria, so it's one of the most idiotic psyops of all time, but um, I I don't know how much of it is just uh, astroturf Bots and, and fake, but I've had people try to argue with me that Tartaria is real, and Tartaria itself is just the name that Europeans gave Russia and Mongolia before they named it Russia and Mongolia. It was just a a a, a placeholder name given to. You can find it on old maps from the 1600s oh, yeah, yeah. and 1700s. Um, it was There's just the term. Isn't yeah, and and if I were so- lord
0: of Tartary myself and
1: me alone. And because because they refuse to believe that knowledge evolves and uh you know, it and is refined over time, they just resort to a conspiracy theory that uh Tartaria was a real place that ruled the whole world and it it also explains why uh capital cities have this Greco Roman architecture. They believe ancient Greece and ancient Rome and modern capital buildings and cities were all constructed at the same time by this by this society, it's a very disjointed and in, um, in, in a logical theory. But uh, that's what I've it never is.
0: managed to get, and I probably won't now. I think I think he probably would 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 say no because of where I'm coming from. Graham Hancock. Mm. Um,
1: I imagine he would be part of this this thing. I, I would be shocked if he would want to be associated with it, but. He has a similar approach to the ancient super society theory, uh, which is prehistoric, uh, basically. Uh, Tartaria is, is ridiculous enough to say that basically the 1700s and 1800s were this entirely mystical... This shows how these people have never even read a book. They have no concept that there is a literature history stretching back... You know, hundreds of th- years, thousands They'd of years. They say the
0: books have been t- have been tinkered with, or um, or kind of suppressed. Probably wouldn't. They?
1: Yeah, they've been fabricated to look old, and and that there's it's the most elaborate conspiracy in all imaginable to try to hide the the Tartarians and their influence. And um, you know, look, people got swept up in the pandemic and had never done a piece of research in their life. Uh, And then they became fearful and had no option but to sit at home and scroll the Internet. And they consume these things from charlatans and fast talkers and con men on social media and on TikTok. And um, I don't even blame people for for falling for some of this stuff. Uh, But, you know, it's time to grow up and get back to reality and do some research and, and find out that this doesn't make any sense.
0: Well... Except give me give me some of my don't take them all away from me, Terry. I you're not
1: gonna tell me that pandas are real. Pandas? Yeah. Uh have they been debunked now? I did not know that, so nobody nobody yeah. informed me of that.
0: Well, I'll just give you I'll just give you just you know you know how it is when you give people all the information they they just go, yeah, but you're saying that. But consider this. I think this is this is a very good point, um made by Owen Benjamin. Um that China one of the World's oldest literal, literate civilization, with records going back millennia, has no record of pandas before, I think, the late 19th century. Now you would think that this remarkable creature, that I mean, in, in, in survival of the fittest terms, should have been killed long ago, because what do they do? They spend their time asleep. Most of the time, and then eating bamboo, and that's about it. Mm. In country where tigers live, and we're supposed to believe what that this stuff is real. I don't know. Anyway,
1: um, I I'm fascinated by that. I, I I'm susceptible to rabbit holes myself. That's one of the reasons Good. why I have to guard myself so much. So, just you mentioning that, I'll probably have to look it up now. But
0: I'd like to, I'd like it to get the Terry Wolf Wolf treatment. Um, <laughs> But, I, 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 you know, as I said on, on in my article about Ike, and I may have even even said it on the stage, I, I'm not in the business of, of converting people who don't want to be converted. I'm not one of those Christians who goes out sure. there and says, you must come to Christ, I have found Jesus. In fact, I think it's really, really off-putting. I'm writing an essay about this at the moment, actually, which will probably run about the time of this podcast. Where I say, you probably, you probably never did. Um, you, you, being a Mennonite, you probably never did um, ecstasy and stuff when you went clubbing. No, no, nope. nope, um, very straight
1: laced myself.
0: Yeah. So I went clubbing in the '90s, and you, 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 and a, before the before your nights clubbing, you and your mates would buy your ecstasy pills which are, which are kind of a prerequisite of a good night's dancing and stuff mm-hmm. and you'd all take your pill before before you went clubbing and you'd you'd hang around for about an hour waiting for the for the pills to take effect and some people would always feel the effects much earlier than everyone else and and, and you, if you were the last one you'd be looking around and everyone would be going yeah oh it's great you're going to love this. And you'd be thinking, I hate you. I've, I've got the one pill that doesn't work. You know, you go, no, no, it's great. You're going to love this. It's mad. It's just like really good. And it seems to me that this is exactly what, what a certain kind of Christian does. Say, I have found Jesus, and it's been totally amazing for me. And and you will too. Just just trust me from my lived experience, or whatever. Mm. No no awake. Nobody who's in a, into conspiracy theories and stuff who questions everything is going to say yeah because of your personal revelation. I should trust you. They have to find a. They have to find an intellectual route into this. They have to find evidence, which is why I'm interested in talking to you about.
1: I I agree. Uh, I would say, you know i you've heard my story it I was surrounded by skepticism um it, it yeah. had nothing to do with embracing what I was told. It was actually about questioning everything I was told yeah. so it, it's sort of paradoxical when i because i don't also i also don't uh try to evangelize people who resist christianity i'm I'm very much about believe believe what you believe is true and and you know but also um If you're skeptical, if you're curious, if there's any part of you that wants to see the other side, you know, check it out for yourself. Like, I've looked into Buddhism and I've looked into other religions. I've looked into many other things. I've considered all the alternatives as well. And uh, it keeps coming back to the Bible. And so, um, you know, it's if people want to dismiss it, um, you know, I, I also say, there is a there is something higher than belief, um, deeper than belief. Maybe would be a better way of saying it, which is conviction. Um, there are certain things you can have a belief intellectually uh, that you can question and play around with and sort of banter back and forth about. Convictions go deeper than all of that. You can't you can't even uh, question your convictions. There, and I have that with Christianity. It's um it's not an intellectual position. I have a need for christianity. I have been born again as the as the bible phrases it and um you know that's a separate story of how that happened because it wasn't a smooth transition from being raised Mennonite to actually believing but it's a conviction level it's not uh it, it was not intellectual.
0: Should this not be something I should, I should ask you about? I
1: mean, is this, is, this, is it a good story? Uh, to me, it's a, it's a good story because it changed my whole life. Well, tell me. Um, tell it's me the not, story. It's not dramatic. It won't impress anyone. But um, when I grew up, I was extremely proud and judgmental. I was raised Mennonite. I was raised – and I was very smart, so I would look into everything, and I thought I was better than everyone. And uh, it got to the point when the early online chat rooms were – coming into existence i was sitting at home and typing with somebody literally telling them that i was perfect i don't know how the topic <laughs> came up but i literally was typing to somebody that no i'm perfect and they said no you're not you have you you have flaws and i had thought about it and i said no i think i'm i, I think i'm actually perfect <laughs> i really doubled down on it and um I, I did a mental inventory, I haven't sinned, I haven't, you know, I didn't do, ex- I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't have sex, I didn't do anything that I wasn't supposed to do, so what's wrong? I can't find any flaw. Literally in that moment, I had the most intense feeling, I can't even describe it, of somebody watching me. You know that feeling you have that somebody is watching you? Yeah. It was tangible almost, It was it was unnerving. And I know I was alone in my room, so I know that there was nobody else there, but I started to look around to see what is the source of this pressure that I suddenly felt. And um, I looked over, and on the desk there was a Bible, and it seemed to be coming from that. And when I looked at it, it uh, how can I even describe it? It felt like the floor fell out from under me. Um I couldn't see. Um the I think I was about to faint. blood was probably leaving my head. It was the most intense experience of horror that I'd ever felt. Um and I realized that far from being perfect, I was actually completely damned and lost and that uh, all of my self-righteousness was was uh, actually an affront to God and that um I was making a mockery of his his word as I was pretending to be a Christian and I thought I understood what it meant and um so in that moment I essentially forgot everything I had ever been told about Christianity and I just had a visceral knowledge that I was going to go to hell and I begged God to uh Actually, what I begged him for was another chance to be even better, to be even more perfect, to uh, prove that I could be completely flawless. That was what I was begging him for, and I was crying, and I was weeping. I was probably about 13 years old, and uh, literally in my bed uh, with a pillow in my face so that people wouldn't hear me crying and, and making this deal with God and i don't know how long that went on on for but i would say it was uh probably realistically about 20 minutes before i became so physically exhausted that i couldn't cry anymore i couldn't uh the panic and adrenaline had worn off and i finally just said okay i give up i i i can't uh i can't prove myself i can't you know be holy on my own, and I said, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to do it for me. Sorry, I'm getting emotional because I'm sort of reliving it here. But, um, And that was the first time that I actually understood what the cross was and what the, what the meaning of Christ's sacrifice was, that it, it's actually not you being good. Uh, it's, it's you giving up on the idea of you being good. It's it's you letting go of your uh, self-righteousness and, and and giving it all to him and trusting him completely. And so I relearned Christianity from that point, um, from square one. I had been taught all the prayers, I'd been doing them perfectly and everything, but it had never meant anything to me and, until that point. And then I started to understand it again with fresh eyes.
0: Well, if that was a boring story, Terry, I don't know what your good ones are like. <laughs> I, I think it was really good.
1: <laughs> I, I really, it, that's the conviction. I mean, I, 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 that's death and being reborn. I couldn't, and I can't, question that. That is, um, it's beyond rationality. It's beyond. Uh, a belief it had nothing intellectual about it it was a raw experience of conviction and uh, and transformation that um i have had people mock me for for giving that story and say it was just some some uh you know a a placebo effect of some kind or something like that but uh that will never affect me it doesn't change anything to me so um rather than trying to convince people with intellectual arguments, I I know that God works in ways that are far beyond uh, intellectual reasoning. So my own conversion had nothing to do with it. In fact, I already believed I was a Christian and that still yeah. happens. So why would I try to force it on anyone else and make it sound as if I could persuade you to be like I am?
0: Yes. I, well, I, look, I think everything you say is true um i've i've had nothing quite as dramatic as that Mm. but what i will say is that i i just get these occasional things where um gifts if you like from 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 god signs and wonders and this podcast would be one of them because i had been i had been We've we've covered a, a lot of territory here that I've been wanting to cover for some time, and I wasn't, I didn't know who I was going to cover it with, mm. um, and used you, and your name came out of the blue. Um, and I didn't know we were going to go there on this on this podcast. I didn't know what. Well, you know, I, mean, I had a rough idea, but I've it's it, it's been really good, you know. Uh, I mean, yeah. some people say, oh yeah, well, just you, you found Terry Wolf on the internet and and just like, but you know it, it's not up there with with water into wine but it's it's it, these things happen i find when
1: you you know th- that is the amazing thing that i've experienced ever since that moment is that um i have had the the opportunity especially with that tiktok account of having many people tell me it's uh they said that you know they're, they're, apparently there's a saying that um you know the master appears when the student is ready or something like that. People have told me things like that where basically they felt like they were on the precipice of of uh, something and they found me through some means and because I was fearlessly going to these places that most people are terrified of, um, most churches would never touch the things that we're talking about because it would scare away their congregation, um you know there's there's something there that people have been waiting for it feels like and so i don't know i, I won't say anything about myself i give god every credit for everything that good is happening uh, around me but um yeah i've sort of stumbled into into being noticed by certain people and then the next person notices and and i just leave it i leave it to god and i and i just try to tell people what i've experienced what i've studied and um, usually, they come back with something amazing that helps me for the next time I, I, I talk to somebody else. I actually believe that's what the kingdom of God is. It is a decentralized, invisible network of people helping each other, not through institutions, but through these weird personal connections that, that can come out of the blue, out of nowhere.
0: i I'm just, um, uh, I hold that thought. I was going to change the the light so people don't get epileptic fits. the battery, rather. Um. um yeah what what i find is that is that god can give you a hard time occasionally um um because he's trying to sort of shape you um there's a line in some uh 118 the lord hath chastened me and corrected me but he hath not given me over unto death so uh, and um i think it's in proverbs 3 for whom the, the, the lord loveth he chastiseth whom the lord loveth he chastiseth even as a father the son in whom he, he delighteth so he's constantly kind of putting you to the test but he's kind of got your back and i think but anyway um what i what i find you, you you say that you can't sort of intellectualize people into into belief and i agree with that i think your definition of conviction is for, for me Conviction is a sort of combination of the sort of intellectual thing and the kind of the, the, the deep emotional and and it's everything rolled into mm-hmm. one. Um, uh, but one of the things I find so persuasive about what you say, um, and I think the people who don't get the spiritual nation, nature of the war we're fighting, what they're missing out on, is that the only thing that makes real sense of what's happening in in the world is the concept of satanic inversion? Yeah. So, for example, we started off with the uh, with the environmental movement, and the environmental movement purports to be about saving the p- the planet, loving animals, loving nature, loving well they wouldn't put it as God's creation, but they loving Gaia. And actually, you've got the erection of wind. Turbines, or as I call them bat-chomping, bird-slicing, eco-crucifixes, mm-hmm. uh which slice and dice nature on an industrial scale, and don't, and, and by the way, don't generate energy, and make a horrible noise, and disqual the, the 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 landscape and the view for miles around. And I don't think we should ever knock views. I think v- views are one of the most beautiful things that you know, you know. It's not without reason that people climb up up mountains to admire mm. the view, or or that they they take the view from their ho- hotel bedroom of the sun setting over the you know, we are designed to enjoy views and 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 even in that small detail the forces of darkness are waging war on our freedom to enjoy views which are great and lovely and 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 so it goes on you've got forests virgin forests being chopped down to i, I don't know to to grow palm trees for oil industrial Worse than oil that, to
1: install solar panel fields
0: to and and on and on on it goes and and they tell us it's about saving the planet and that while they're actually destroying it Mm. and you could apply this this formula the satanic inversion formula to almost anything that's happening in the world today and it suddenly starts to make sense doesn't it
1: yes i am in fact within the next week i am going to publish an article on the role of satanic inversion and how it needs to happen for their control system because it it operates and is fueled by cognitive dissonance. Uh, Cognitive dissonance is a psychological effect where your mind doesn't want to accept the situation, and so it creates some sort of bypass where you can cope with it. Um, This happens in emergencies. It happens in all sorts of uncomfortable situations. And basically, if you're not willing to accept reality... Your mind will find a way around it that can make you comfortable, but the price you pay for that is that you become more susceptible to the next lie. Um, And this is actually where confidence men, con men, come in, and they take advantage of your cognitive dissonance. Uh, the, The job of a confidence man is to speak so confidently and so uh, assuredly about everything, while scamming you, uh, that you experience cognitive distance because you're thinking, there's no way this person can be lying to me this confidently. There's no way I'm being tricked. Some of the most outrageous scams in history were fueled by this unwillingness to accept the situation. That So uh, there's actually a very interesting psychological play here where once you start using once you start doing evil and calling it good, um, you create this massive cognitive dissonance in the bystanders who are watching and they then become culpable. They then on some level uh, have to accept the next lie that gets even worse because otherwise, where do you start to unpack the whole thing and and point fingers? You've basically been a bystander in a crime that's been ongoing your whole life. And uh, so there's this, very strange role that cognitive dissonance plays where now Joe Biden is considered to be the most progressive righteous person while we know his you know his son's dealings and his daughter's diary which explains her showers with her father and it's almost like they're they're daring us to call this out to and that's part of the cognitive dissonance is to lie so boldly to our faces to be so blatantly hypocritical uh, that the the people who are invested in that paradigm uh, they become locked in and paralyzed because the paradox is so distressing and so hurtful if they started to feel reality and understand where they actually stood um it would it would basically shatter their Their whole worldview so they're they're upping the ante constantly and that's where we get this clown world situation so yes they do
0: seem to take great delight in deceiving us that it seems to be more than a more than just they're having fun it seems to be a key part of their of the way they operate that they have Mm. to you know I mean Michael Obama for example I mean, mm-hmm. and I think he's not the first presidential wife who is not as presented. So they've they've gone and taken the most one of the most conspicuous positions in in the world,
1: and fooled. So what, what's that about? I mean, is it is it? Well, if look, I mean, the one that really uh, set me off on this whole on really on the research of the world side. I, I was researching the Bible when I was younger, but it was 911 it was uh, the world trade center number 7 and me and my brothers were looking at it and saying what was that why did the news not report that we saw it you know the bbc reported it 15 minutes before it happened you know, how is this how is nobody acknowledging what's happening it's this it's, it almost creates a sense of panic in you because you're like they can't be doing this in front of our faces mm. um but then I would try to tell, like, let's say my mom, I would say, you know what they're doing? Did you notice this? You, you you were watching the report, right? And you could see her shut down in real time. And this is what happens with everyone I was talking to back then. They would shut down. They, they could not afford to acknowledge reality because it, it's too painful. It's too costly on the worldview that they've been building up. So this is what they can accomplish. And they know this is a proven psychological effect. They're social engineers. They know what they're doing. Um, And and they create more and more outrageous scandals and invert it in your face and tell you that you're wrong. You you, you didn't see what you were actually seeing. It's Orwellian thought crime, you know, Uh, peace is war and and, uh, all this type of stuff where you create the inversions. It paralyzes people and then you can manipulate them more easily because they're outside of rational thought now they're just coping with this nightmare that they refuse to acknowledge and i think that's where christianity gives you the tools to escape that by having this proper framework of a the ultimate conspiracy theory that satan is the ruler of the world um and that you know we're going to die and the next world will be where things are are corrected and it's it's so bleak on one hand, but it's so appropriate to what we're actually seeing in real life that we can fearlessly point it out, um, and most people are sort of just trapped, uh, wishing it wasn't true, and, and it gives us an advantage in that.
0: I, I think this is why the the, um, the Bible places such a high premium on truth, Um I mean, I was—I I was never a good liar, but I really try re- extra hard now, not it, always to tell the truth, because I think that if you make that your watchword, um, it makes it much easier to negotiate this world of, you know, to, to, to keep a, to clear a, 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 a righteous path through this this world of deception and um, snares and stuff.
1: And I would say, just as equally, a, a large premium on uh, courage. Um, Actually, a lot of people don't know this or notice it, but in Revelation, I believe it's Revelation 21 verse 8, it actually lists the people who will not enter paradise, will not enter God's presence. And cowards is the first thing listed. Um, Really? You have murderers, adulterers, you have all sorts of people listed, which are the traditional sins, uh, but actually, the first type of person listed that will not enter God's presence are cowards. It's wow. it's when I point that out, people's minds are blown because nobody has ever preached that before. But it's right there in the Bible. Jesus constantly telling people, "Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer." The world hates me, but I have overcome the world. Um, if you start paying attention to the theme throughout the New Testament, you see that cowardice is actually one of the biggest uh, enemies of Christianity, and that Christians are actually required, not it's not optional. Um, you know, I understand the meek Christian that doesn't want to upset anyone, but there's another level you're supposed to be reaching for as you mature as a Christian, where you start to take that risk, and you start to fight back, and you start to expose things. And And I try to warn people, because it, I didn't write it, but I, I saw it with my own eyes, and you can check. Um, you know, courage is necessary, and that's what it takes when you're dealing with this cognitive dissonance machine. It's, it's There's also this thing called the bystander effect, where in a crisis, when a crime is happening in public, it's a very well-documented thing, Um, people stand around and they watch as if it's not real, as if it's not happening. It's And uh, it takes courage to break out of that trance as well, and to... Take some personal responsibility and say, "I could do something about this. I don't know what, but um, I, I need to speak out." And um, as you start to absorb the the magnitude of the deception we're in, the fraud that we've been in, um, it takes a lot of courage to actually get out of that and to start acknowledging it personally, internally, and then outwardly sharing it with other people and getting other people to to take courage and. and That's why I say we can only win as Christians. There's no such thing as losing because either they leave us alone and we can spread our message and we will win if they allow us to, if they allow us to play on an even playing field, we will always win or they can persecute and censor and, and, and turn the whole world against us. In which case we win again because Jesus said that everything we suffer in this life, we get blessed for in the next life. So, um, Ultimately, there's there's nothing to be afraid of, and that's where you can take courage.
0: So, what? How does it all end? What, what's the what's the, what does Revelation tell us about?
1: Well, uh, there's there's so many endings in Revelation that that's what I, I wrote the book about is to try to give it all room to breathe and to play out the scenario. Uh, for us, the the logical end, I believe, would be the tribulation where there is some sort of collapse scenario where society crumbles and we become the scapegoat of all the world's troubles Um, and the world essentially kills us uh, and then celebrates as if we were the ones who caused all the problems Um, and then from there uh, the cataclysms start happening worldwide cataclysms floods and earthquakes and these things that you people associate revelation with Um, and then Jerusalem becomes the the focal point. I I imagine there has to be a physical third temple built um, that becomes a a point of controversy. And this hundred and forty four thousand Israelites, you know, it goes on from there to their their conversion story, how they end up. This small group of Israelites is handpicked by God and and uh, becomes his sort of pet project as the whole world is coming to an end and the Antichrist comes by and all these types of things. Um, it's a fascinating. Very long story. I believe it's trying to tell. Uh, the ending, though, in terms of you know a personal experience, would be that you you know you die and you uh, go to heaven the old-fashioned way. Hopefully, we end up being the under the altar or in one of these uh, prime positions as martyrs. I believe martyrs have a very special place in God's plan. You can see that when He comes back to establish His. Millennial Kingdom. Actually, those who are beheaded for the for the sake of Christ are given special thrones in his Millennial Kingdom. So there's a lot of things to look forward to if you're willing to suffer persecution.
0: And what happens to the people, you know, all our sort of loved ones who are not with the, the program?
1: I am not the judge. Uh, God is the judge. I believe that... Um, before the tribulation really gets underway there's going to be a deception and intimidation campaign that will weed out most lukewarm Christians those who are who are cowardly um it Jesus refers to this as a great falling away i believe that's the next major prophetic event is is the falling away it's going to become so scary to be a christian that um most churches are going to comply with whatever this Agenda is that they start pushing on us uh people will essentially renounce any kind of fundamentalism and go along with the program and uh That's why I constantly am trying to tell people that I love that uh we need to change our perspective here. We need to get to the point where we are excited about persecution. We are actually anticipating it, we have no fear at all, and we're uh we're trying to provoke them to the point where they just do it. You know, just get it over with. Take off the mask. Stop pretending that you're tolerant, and um, and let's get this show on the road. I, I'm bored of of life without uh, you know telling the truth and and exposing evil. Um, people cling much too tightly to the the mundane, optimistic worldview. Where you know this is my Mennonite upbringing. Speaking in some way, but you know it's. Uh, we were never supposed to love the world. So there's been a long campaign to make us comfortable, to make us sleepy, to make us um, self-indulgent and distracted. And um, now we're getting the warning sirens and we need to wake up and, and fight.
0: Yeah, but surely to a degree we were meant to love the world. I mean, what about all the beauty of, 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 of nature and stuff that God made for us and all the all the wonderful things? Was that Was that not...
1: It, it is meant to be... A a testimony to a creator that is certainly capable of doing all of that. Right from the Garden of Eden, you have the curse placed on the planet that also creates the weeds and the you know the bad things as well, the heat and the floods and all these types of things. But absolutely, God demonstrates his his genius and his power and his uh, you know the Bible actually says that even the pagans should have known that there was just one creator who designed everything by looking at the creation, by looking at the beauty and the unity of all of existence. And so, um, as far as a biblical worldview goes, it is the greatest testimony to a creator. And if you look at throughout Revelation, it's actually an ongoing underlying theme over and over again of denying the creator. There's a lot of emphasis when the angels start giving warnings and stuff. Um, Basically, their main criticism of mankind at that future point is that they they deny that there's a creator and and so i think um it's this timeless legacy this timeless testimony that if people just looked into that there's many scientists who have converted to christianity or at least a, be- a belief in a creator just by studying their field of science and um it's it's all buried it's not publicized but um yeah creation science and these types of things get get demonized and the world is beautiful. Love is beautiful. These relationships are are meaningful. I'm not the type of person who just uh, walks around depressed and ignoring these things. I I embrace all of the beauty and potential and creativity I can. I enjoy life as much as I can while I'm here. Mm. But yeah. at the same time, I'm going to uh, recognize the threat and the the context in which we're We're actually living here, and we're promised that in the next life, we we get to actually enjoy it without all these caveats and all these, uh, you know, the the war that's happening.
0: That would be good. I'm really hoping that we get horses in the next life.
1: We know that there's not going to be any ocean. That's a strange thing. You can look that up in Revelation. The so people who like
0: sailing are, are just—that's their hobby gone.
1: Maybe a lake, but not an ocean. I don't know. Um, There's—it's a strange thing. And I think Revelation 21 or so, where it's describing the next world, and one of the things it explicitly says is that there's not going to be any more sea. Um, that's a shame. So no kind of coral reefs or reefs <laughs> or, or whales or. I. Uh, Hey, I'm just I'm just reporting what I found. Yeah, I,
0: I know you're just reporting. I know. I look, we 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 can't we can't.
1: But I, you know, please let there be horses. <laughs> there could be beautiful horses. There could be uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be massive springs. It kind of flies in the face of the heavenly. The good news is that it flies in the face of just the heavenly cloud mis- misconception that uh, heaven is just a place we float around in and we have nothing to do. The Bible actually describes a rich new world that is created that has its own mountains and uh and fields and all sorts of things like that. So uh we'll we'll have a whole world to explore and it won't be this one. I uh yeah. I, I'm very it's so weird to jump between the pessimism of our situation with the the joy I feel having a conversation like this is so amazing to be able to you know, explore these things and talk to people about it. This is what gives me the most satisfaction is having these conversations and, and teaching people and telling people these things. And then the worst thing that can happen is what? They're going to starve me, kill me, chop my head off. It's, these things have all been done before by, to better people before me and uh, and they handled it well. So I'm not scared of it. And then I get to have rewards in the next life. I mean, it's it's actually not bleak from my point of view. It's only bleak if you're invested in in this crappy world that is that that's already foregone and what we're supposed to do in the meantime is is prepare people for what's coming.
0: I I've come to the conclusion that I'm not nearly as good a Christian as you. <laughs> um but but <laughs> I kind of think that God will probably give me a break because I think somebody listening to this podcast will probably have been you know persuaded brought to the brought round to our point of view I, I fully expect so
1: I every time I I get to reach a new audience I get wonderful feedback I'm always expecting a backlash of hate and um and I never really get it actually I I don't know if it's something that I, I'm just so uh, I just wear it on my sleeve, you know, and I and I don't try to hold. I don't know, but I've, I've maybe this will be the exception. But I've uh, so far I've had.
0: <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> well, I don't
1: know <laughs> what you're. I don't know how why you, yeah, you David know. Ike people hate you now. So you know. Yeah, they
0: do. That's true. But but uh, you know, well, yeah, whatever. That's that's the deal, isn't it? You know, of course you're going to get persecuted. Yeah. No, I think I think I think we're good. Um, uh, Terry, it's been um absolute. J- absolute joy talking to you tell people where they can find your stuff
1: Mm. the one-stop shop for my material is actually uh i made my own website it's called wolfpox.com w-o-l-f-p-o-x it's the handle i used on tiktok it's the handle i used on twitter and on youtube um it's an old handle i created when i was a teenager um And uh, I also have a substack, .substack winterchristian.substack.com. Yeah, Wolfpox was a... The short story on that is that I was playing a video game where you could create your own character, and um, for some reason I had heard about smallpox in the news and chickenpox, and I thought, well, if they can be chickenpox, then there can be any kind of pox, and my last name is Wolf, so I thought Wolfpox sounded like a cool name, and uh, it sort of stuck around as my... (laughs) my handle online.
0: Do you want to guess what my favorite video game is? The one I've invested more time in than any others.
1: Oh, guess? I mean, let me guess. Um, Can you tell me what console or system it was on? Sega. Oh, and then I'm going to be lost. I mean, I'm going to have to guess Sonic, but... Nope. No, 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 no.
0: Actually, I did get to the, the boss level of Sonic. I did get to Dr. Robotnik or whatever he was called, Professor Robotnik, I, I did actually beat him. But no, my favorite of all video games. On, I'll try and demonstrate through the medium of.
1: Oh, what was that one called?
0: I'm going I'm... to. He would go around pushing glyphs with his nose.
1: Was it like Echo or something like that? Echo the dolphin. That is interesting. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take another look at that. I I, I glossed over it when I was younger. Apparently, it has fans.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we we had. To, I mean, I'm younger than I'm older than you, rather. We we had to make do with what we had in those days. I mean, I actually remember the first video game I had was was Pong.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it was a ball that went back.
1: You know ironically, that was also my first video game because we were so poor growing up. My family was was poverty level um all of our video game consoles were donations from a landlord uncle that I had who took junk out of people's apartments and he would donate old broken consoles to us, so I actually had a Atari and pong. Uh, in the 90s and that was our consoles uh it was it was a donation so i enjoyed those classics for a while too until uh until we could finally get a super nintendo so uh yeah pong was my also my first
0: so you must have really appreciated that later stage in life having (laughs) having had it so rough to get to to metal gear solid and and all these stuff
1: absolutely Uh, it was uh I basically went from the, in the first generation of video games to the, the 32-bit generation in the span of three or four years. So it felt like I was experiencing the biggest leaps in technology ever.
0: We've covered lots of ground. Terry, thank you again. Um, and it only remains for me to thank my wonderful viewers and listeners for your support. Please do support me on Substack um or on locals I, I mean you can still do patreon or subscribe stuff if you want to but they're a bit bit old-fashioned now or you can buy me a coffee um if you subscribe to my one of my channels um you get early access i delay my podcast now by quite a while so i, I, I want to make it worthwhile for people who support me to to uh, you know get get some get their money's worth um, and it's nice supporting me anyway because you kind of like stuff I do. If you, if you don't like me, it's not about whether you let, think I'm a nice person or not. Please also, uh, our sponsors, I, uh, I, I, they're really good. I don't, I don't allow anyone rubbish to sponsor this podcast. And, you know, there's the, there's, um, uh, the, this today's main sponsor, Monetary Metals. There's also the Pure Gold Company. If you want to get, um, gold bullion stored in in london or switzerland or if you want to have it delivered to your home uh there's all the the various vitamin suppliers and um yeah keep buying their stuff i know you've been enjoying it so far um thank you again terry been really good and i'll see you on the other side you know i mean if i don't meet you before when, when we've had our heads chopped off
1: i i would love that and i uh that's that's what i tell people is that you know I always love to come back as a guest, but if not, you know, I, we can have the conversations uh, for eternity if we want to in the next life, so.
0: I think, you no, know, I, I can see you actually coming back as a guest. I mean, there's it, got to be loads more stuff we haven't covered.
1: We sort of touched on everything a little bit. Uh, yeah, we yeah. did. I, it, it was, was it of... was a very pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. No, oh, it's been brilliant. I've really loved it. Thanks a lot.
0: Um, one of my longest podcasts as well. Um Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy your Canadian day.